Welcome to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast. In our podcast, we provide support for school leadership and the workplace with a proven approach for implementing social and emotional learning. As it's well known in our schools today and emotional intelligence in the modern workplace with a proven strategy to increase well-being, achievement, and results backed by the most current neuroscience research. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and former educator who, like you, knows firsthand about stress in today's schools and corporations, along with the effects that this stress has on our well-being, achievement, productivity, and results. In this podcast, we will provide you with the tools, resources, and ideas to implement proven strategies backed by the most current neuroscience research to help you to achieve the long-term gains of implementing these success strategies in your daily life. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit AchieveIt360.com. AchieveIt360.com. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets SEL podcast, episode 20. This is Andrea Samadhi. I want to thank everyone who's been tuning into these episodes. In just a few short months of launching, we've reached over 20 countries and the feedback has been incredible. Not only am I learning that the topics are relevant and applicable, but the need is very clear to continue to interview new leaders in the field of social emotional learning and emotional intelligence and neuroscience and continue to offer ideas and strategies that can be implemented immediately. If you do have feedback or want to reach me directly, you can find me, Andrea Samadhi, on LinkedIn or Twitter, or send me an email to andrea at achieveit360.com. Our initial goal with this podcast was to close the gap where 58% of employers say college graduates aren't adequately prepared for today's workforce, and those employers noted a particular gap in social and emotional skills. Research shows that social and emotional skills like social awareness, self-regulation, and growth mindset, the skills that we've been covering in the past episodes, are crucial to college and career readiness. The outcomes of developing these intelligences are vast as they impact our performance, leadership, personal excellence, time management, and decision making. As we've progressed, these episodes are bringing together leaders and practitioners in the field who have programs, books, and ideas to share with an urgent need to get this message out to impact our schools, communities, and workplaces. As Clark McCown, the president of Excel Labs, SEL Assessment, mentioned in our podcast interview, episode 10, it's important that we bring people to have conversations around SEL and emotional intelligence to propel us forward bringing the different strands of the SEL movement together and having them coordinate is going to be the key. There's potential for a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. I hope that you agree with me how important this work is. And if you're finding these episodes helpful, please do share them on your social media so that others can gain access. So far, we've covered five of the six social and emotional learning competencies to dive deep into and tie in how an understanding of our brain can facilitate these strategies. The sixth social and emotional competency, mindset, 
fits into the social and emotional track with the ability to understand your own emotions. Like when you feel that something might be difficult and you're frustrated and ready to give up as well as the cognitive track because we've got to use the executive functions of our brain with the needed ability to persevere, problem solve, and come up with different strategies. With each competency, we investigate the best practices that you can use to develop and improve your own SEL and emotional intelligence and well-being practice before extending these strategies to your districts, schools, classrooms, workplaces, and communities. We must first of all practice the concepts ourselves before we teach others, because if we haven't developed a practice ourselves, our students will pick up on the lack of authenticity and won't take the concept seriously either. The interviews are designed so that you can hear directly from experts in the field who are using these skills on a daily basis. We want the ideas you take away with you to be actionable, whether you're an educator working in a school, an employee or manager in a corporation, or someone just looking to take their skills to the next level. Be sure to look for the resources in the show notes section if you'd like to dive deeper into this topic. Moving on to the topic of mindset, it's important to notice that 10 years after Carol Dweck's essential finding that for children who have a growth mindset, their intelligence can be developed and students are better able to overcome academic stumbling blocks than those who have a fixed mindset, who think that intelligence is predetermined or that they must be born with a certain set of skills that can't be changed. These findings are as relevant as ever. Dweck's work has reached thousands of schools, students, and teachers around the world, and her research has been recognized and honored as she was the recipient of the $3.8 million Eden Prize, the world's largest international prize in educational research and development. Applying growth mindset has proven to be something that has not been simple or easy to do, whether it's in the classroom, workplace, or even in the field of athletics. In the next few sections, we'll look at the obstacles behind the application of growth mindset in each of these three fields with some suggested strategies for a successful implementation. John Hattie, the professor and deputy dean of the Melbourne Graduate School of Education, answers the key question of when is the appropriate situation for thinking in a growth manner over a fixed manner? In the following situations, having access to growth thinking helps us to resolve the situation, move the person forward, and not lead to resistance over reaction and fear of flight into a fixed mindset. The major situations for growth mindset are when we do not know an answer, when we make an error, when we experience failure, or when we're anxious. In each of these situations, having a strategy to help us to pivot, try a new angle so we can learn from what did not work last time, will help us access those breakthroughs and those aha moments of learning that can only occur when we persist and persevere instead of giving up. Our end goal is to work towards changing our belief in ourselves, giving us confidence and hope that comes with time, effort, and with each new experience where we overcome a struggle. Let's examine the obstacles behind the application of growth mindset in the classroom. An Education Week survey found that the vast majority of educators believe that a growth-oriented mindset can help improve students' motivation, commitment, and engagement in learning. But the study found that applying those ideas to practice and helping students shift their mindset around learning 
remains an elusive challenge. Key findings from the Education Week survey showed educators believe growth mindset has great potential for teaching and learning. Nearly all teachers, 98%, agree that using growth mindset in the classroom will lead to improved student learning. Teachers see a strong link between a growth mindset and a range of positive student outcomes and behaviors. More than 90% believe growth mindset is associated with excitement around learning, persistence, high levels of effort, and participation in class. The majority of teachers report praising students for their effort on a daily basis or encouraging them to continue improving in areas of strength or try new strategies when they're struggling. However, putting growth mindset into practice poses significant challenges. Only 20% of teachers strongly believe they're good at fostering a growth mindset in their own students. They have even less confidence in their fellow teachers and school administrators. And just one in five say they have deeply integrated growth mindset into their teaching practice. So what's happening to yield such a gap with theory and practice? Carol Dweck has expressed concern that teachers are placing emphasis merely on students' effort instead of their learning strategies and wants to remind us that the real purpose behind growth mindset was to boost students' learning. All of the effort in the world will not yield results if it's the wrong strategy for the student. Here's three strategies that build growth mindset in the light of these obstacles in the classroom. Number one, have students try different learning strategies for different subject areas. While preparing a book report, one student might find a graphic organizer to be a helpful tool for citing evidence, while another prefers to highlight supporting points in different colors. Another might list every possible option for evidence and cross out the weakest ones. They may have an entirely different strategy for studying for a science test that would involve mnemonics and memorization and rote practice of math problems for a math test. Whatever method they choose to use, they'll need to monitor and observe how the strategy is working for them and make adjustments when needed. Number two, be sure the teachers are not labeling students as difficult to teach based on their perceived mindsets. It might be easier to suggest that a student has a fixed mindset rather than identifying a learning challenge with that student. Be sure that all options are explored for each student with the proper interventions put in place. Number three, be careful of a false growth mindset. We all wanna believe that we have a growth mindset all of the time, but the truth is that we go back and forth depending on what we're doing and the different circumstances in our lives. Dweck notes herself that we are all a mixture of growth and fixed and need to understand both in ourselves. She particularly notes the reactions we have when we face challenges, are overly anxious, or in fight or flight. Self-awareness comes into play here as we learn to identify the skills in our life that we have a desire to change, and perhaps ones that we're happy with and content of where they are. What about obstacles behind the application of growth mindset in athletics? The Rover Soccer Training Academy, one of the top teams in the UK Soccer League, whose Director of Team Performance, Tony Faulkner, came to visit Carol Dweck to find some answers to the problems he was having with some of their players not reaching their highest potential. The problem existed because of the British culture that held the belief that soccer stars are born, not made. And if you believe this, and then you have incredible talent, then the belief would impede the soccer player from seeing the point of daily practice to improve their craft. 
Before we can see the benefits of having a growth mindset, we have to hold the belief that we can in fact change with effort, hard work, practice, persistence, and perseverance. And because of the British culture, this team needed to do some work with their core beliefs and cognitive biases. So what are cognitive biases and how do they work? A cognitive bias is a type of error in thinking that occurs when people are processing and interpreting information in the world around them. There's over 200 known cognitive biases that cause us to think and act irrationally, and they're the result of the brain's need to simplify information, helping us to make decisions quickly. When we're making decisions, we must be able to take in information quickly, and the brain does this by way of a mental shortcut called heuristics that can be accurate, but they can also sway us in a certain way, causing us to make poor decisions based on our own limited thinking. So I've listed in the show notes some of the top cognitive biases that exist, one being confirmation bias, when you favor information that conforms to your existing beliefs and you discount evidence that doesn't conform to your own belief. There's also the bandwagon effect, the tendency for people to believe or do things because other people are doing and thinking them. So the Rovers Soccer Training Academy in the UK was definitely suffering from the bandwagon effect, the tendency for people to do or think things because other people are doing and thinking them. They were thinking or believing that soccer stars were born and not made, and that daily practice and drills weren't important for certain players. They had to work on looking at their belief system to make changes in the results of their players. Dweck gave advice for the Rovers Soccer Training Academy that holds true for anyone stuck in a fixed mindset. Changing mindsets is not like surgery, she says. You can't simply remove the fixed mindset and replace it with growth mindset. The Rovers are now starting their workshops with recent recruits, starting with their youngest, most malleable players. The team's talent scouts will be asking about the players' views on talent and training, not to screen out those with a fixed mindset, but to target them for special training. So tips for building a growth mindset with cognitive biases in mind. The first step is to be aware of the fact that cognitive biases exist and that we must challenge our own thinking and beliefs. Pick one cognitive bias that you see in your organization and look at where we might be making flawed decisions based on those beliefs. Having discussions on the bias can help bring more awareness to how other people think and make changes. What about growth mindset in the workplace or your organization? We know that developing emotional and cognitive skills like growth mindset yield noticeable results in the workplace, especially with the ability to recognize our emotions when we're becoming frustrated with something that we're working on, and then having the ability to try another strategy, angle, or plan. So what are some things you and your organization could do to develop a growth mindset? Carol Dweck's research outlines the main attributes that create a growth mindset environment. She includes, number one, presentation skills are learnable. Anyone can learn how to be a great presenter with practice. Number two, conveying that the organization values learning and perseverance, not just ready-made genius or talent. Number three, giving feedback in a way that promotes learning and future success and presenting managers or coaches as resources for learning. And number four, promoting time to think and reflect. All of these are important for developing a growth mindset in employees. 
So some outcomes and results in all these three areas. In schools, we saw the key findings where nearly 98% of teachers agree that using growth mindset will lead to improved student learning, that more than 90% believe growth mindset is associated with excitement about learning, persistence, high levels of effort, and participation in class, and the majority of teachers report praising students for their effort on a daily basis or encouraging them to continue to improve in areas of strength and try new strategies when they're struggling. Some outcomes in athletics, as we saw with the Rovers Soccer Training Academy, once the players were able to adopt a growth mindset, the entire organization was able to align their values and beliefs behind consistent daily practice for success and infuse these beliefs into the future of the academy. And in the workplace, did you know that employees with a growth mindset are 40% likelier to say their colleagues are trustworthy? 34% likelier to feel a strong sense of ownership and commitment to the organization, and 49% likelier to say the company fosters innovation. Whatever reason you might be interested in learning more about growth mindset, just keep in mind what Carol Dweck herself suggests, that we cannot just remove a fixed mindset and replace it with a growth mindset. It will take time and practice to develop a growth mindset in your brain, just like anything we do. With practice, those neural pathways form and eventually become habits, yielding us the results that we've worked so hard to attain. Thank you for staying to the end of this episode. I'm grateful for your support and interest in the topics and look forward to sharing some of the most successful leaders in the field of social emotional learning and emotional intelligence moving forward to help put this theory into practice. Stay tuned for my next guest. He's someone who won't need an introduction if you're in the field of education. I can't wait to share his most recent book and work. I'll see you next time. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.